not, we're in week two in the book of 1 John. Uh, but let's pray together one more time before we get started tonight. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for your servant John, Lord. And I just pray now that you would help us to see, believe, Trust, obey, God, all that you have written, all that you have spoken, Lord, I pray uh, that we would be a people who walks in the light as you are in the light. And I pray, Lord, that, um, that if there's any, Lord, who is deceived, I pray, Lord, that they would come to know the truth this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to the book of 1 John. The book of 1 John, uh, chapter 1. And tonight we're going to talk about how to have fellowship with God. How to have fellowship with God. If you think about it, uh, there's, really, there's really not many questions that's more important than that. <laughs> how can I have fellowship with God? How can I be with God, how could I come to know uh, God? When Peter stood up and preached the gospel in Jerusalem after the falling of the Holy Spirit, he, you know, he told them quite straightforwardly, "You crucified Jesus." And now, uh, you know, and and the Bible says that they were cut to the heart, and they said, "Sirs, what must we do to be saved?" He said, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And so that's the ultimate question. What must we do to be saved? How can we have fellowship with God? That's what we're going to talk about this evening from the book of 1 John. And so if you're able and willing, I invite you to stand in honor of the reading of God's word. From 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him. And proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. The word of God. Be seated. So, question this evening is how can we have fellowship with God? Two things very simply. Number one, we have to walk in the light. And number two, we have to be honest about our sin. We have to walk in the light. We have to be honest about our sin. But first, before we get there, we're going to talk about this. We're talking about God is light. This is how John opens up this uh, section in his uh, letter. In verse 5, he says, This is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. 
So he prefaces these other statements about having fellowship with God. He prefaces them with a statement about the nature of God. And of course, it makes sense because it is the nature of God. It is who he is in himself that is going to determine how other things interact with him, how other beings and creatures can have fellowship with him. And of course, I mean, it just, it makes perfect sense. I mean, you take oil and water, for example. There are two different types of materials and substances. And because of the nature of oil, for example, and the properties that it has, it makes it such that it does not mix with oil, with water. And so, so God, too, has a certain nature. He exists in a certain way. <laughs> he has a certain set of attributes that describe who he is. And it is based off of that nature, then, that... Uh, that affects who, uh, how, who and how we can have personal, deep relationship with Him. To, to have fellowship with God, to understand how we can have fellowship with God, we, we first must understand something about who God is. And John tells us who God is. He says, God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. What does it mean that God is light? Well, I think in, in, the theo- in John's theology, which we learn from his letters and especially the gospel that he wrote, the gospel of John, we, see, we learn two things about what John means about what he associates with the concept of light. The first for John, for John, light is associated with life. In the book of John, chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, it says, In him, that is the word, that is Jesus, in him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So in the Gospel of John, there's a life and light connection. That is that, he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. So, so for John, light is associated with life. The life of Jesus brings light to the world. Or you could put it the other way, it says, the light, Jesus is the light that reveals life to the world. So think about the image that he's being painted, that, that Jesus is the source of life, as we, as we talked about in, in, uh, last week. Jesus is the source of life. If you want life, you have to go to Christ to find it. In him is life. It's found nowhere else. And light In the image of light, light by definition, it reveals, it exposes, it communicates, it makes visible. So the fact that Jesus is light means that he he reveals, he makes makes life visible, viewable. He exposes it, he communicates it to us. And so there's this light-life connection in the theology of John. And second... Light is associated, not just with life, but light is associated for John with moral purity. Moral purity. In, in a little bit later in 1 John chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. And then a little bit later again in 1 John chapter 3, it says, If we're not supposed to hate our brother, clearly then we're supposed to love our brother. But what does love look like? For John, it says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers, lay down our lives for the brothers. 
But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? And so, so for John, light means life, and it also means moral purity. It means love. To walk in light means to walk in love. And for John, love means loving like Christ loved, namely self-giving. Giving of yourself for the good of others. Having a heart that desires the greatest eternal good of others. Seeing the needs of others. And being willing to meet those needs. Even if it costs us. Laying down our lives for others. Is what it means for John to walk in the light. And so... And so for John, light means both life and it means moral purity. So when, God, so when John says that God is light, what he means is that God is the source of life. He's the giver of life. And for John, life, of course, is connected with Christ and it's connected with, um, is connected with eternal life. To receive the life the light, to have life in John means to have eternal life, not just physical life, of course. He's talking about spiritual life, spiritual realities. John makes that same connection between life and light here in, in 1 John because in verses, uh, in the verses 1 through 4, he talks about this is the, the, the message concerning the word of life. We proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and which has been made manifest to us. And then down in verse 5, he then refers to light. So he's making that same connection here. That God is the source of life and that, he is the, and that he is perfectly holy. He has a standard of moral purity and righteousness. And so what we see then is that life and moral purity are connected. Right? Let me say that again. Life and moral purity are connected. It's very clear, right? The wages of sin is death, right? So, there's, so it's a clear connection. All these things are just intertwined together. If you have life in you, according to John, new life, spiritual life in you, then you're going to be what? You're going to be putting sin to death. Why? Because light has no fellowship with darkness. Because light and darkness cannot coexist. It's impossible. Darkness by definition is the abs- light by definition is the absence of darkness. Darkness by definition is the absence of light. You cannot have one and the other. And so if you walk in the light, and if light shines on something, it automatically, irreversibly dispels the darkness. Darkness has, has no power in the presence of light. And so wherever the light is, the darkness has to flee. And if God's light is in you, then his life is in you. And if God's life is in you, then that means sin is dying in you and new life is being birthed in you. And so... John is telling us up front something important about the nature of God. Why? Because it's going, to, it's going to tell us then how it is that we can have fellowship with him, this God who is light. And that brings us to what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6.14 when he said, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness? And that brings us to number two uh, here. So number one, God is light. But number two, uh, then since God is light, then to have fellowship with God, we must walk in the light. That's what he says in verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, look at that. We lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, 
we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And so John longs, John longs that these, so he's writing this letter to these churches that he's trying to encourage and that uh, these false teachers that we talked about last time are, are, are infiltrating the church and teaching these early Gnostic heresies. But John longs, he earnestly desires that these people whom he's writing this letter to, that they would what? That they would have life. That they would have life. He wants them to have real life, true life in them, eternal life in them. In fact, as we said last time in verse 4 there, it says that he, he wrote these things so that their joy might be complete. He loves them and nothing would bring him more joy and, would, and nothing than for them to know the truth and to have true life. And nothing would bring him greater sorrow than to see those that he loves wander away from the life, the light, and the truth. And so John here, he stacks up some of these if phrases, if you will. He gives these hypothetical situations. Apparently, some of these false teachers were saying these things, and he's trying to contradict their teaching, to counteract their teaching. And he says, since God is light, then to have fellowship with him, we must walk in the light. Right? If, I mean, like we said, darkness and light, light and darkness cannot coexist. If we have fellowship with God, then by definition, we have to walk in a way that reflects God, that shows love and appreciation for God, that reflects God's own moral righteousness, right? When, when you have an intimate relationship with one another, a healthy, intimate relationship with one another, where you love one another, then the nature of that relationship is that you want to serve them. You want to bring them joy. You want to do what pleases them. So, so John says then that if, I have, if we say we have fellowship with God, but at the same time we're walking in darkness, then, James, then John says that it's a, it's basically it's a bald-faced lie. It's like, saying, it's like saying I have fellowship with my wife while I'm cheating on her. Right? It's saying I have fellowship with someone, but at the same time I'm walking in the darkness. So if we want to have true fellowship with God, we have to walk in the light. So these heretics that John is addressing, you know, with their separation of the spiritual and material things, you know, uh, maybe they were saying that, that what we did in the body, um, what we did in the body uh, really didn't, didn't matter. Uh, that since matter, matter and spiritual realities are distinct from one another, that we could kind of do whatever we, we wanted with our bodies. And perhaps that's, that's what they were saying. And that's why... They could, they could say that they were having fellowship with God while at the same time not caring about what they did with their bodies. Walking in darkness, as John puts it. So in other words, people who profess Jesus Christ but live in unrepentant sin, that has been going on for a really long time. <laughs> 2,000 years. John the Apostle, the the, who walked with Jesus himself is dealing with this in his churches. And he's writing this letter. It's been going on for a very long time. We can't see the heart of others, but we can inspect the fruit. And the Apostle John, under the inerrant authority of the Holy Spirit, says that if we know God, but walk in the darkness, he says, he says we lie. 
In other words, you're a liar. You're a liar if you say that you have fellowship with God, but you're walking in darkness. That's not, you know, <laughs> people don't like that. We don't like to talk about that. And people just say, oh, well, this is judgmental Christians. But look, that has nothing to do with it. If you have fellowship with God, then you're going to reflect God. If you don't have fellowship with God, and you, if, you ha- if you say you have fellowship with God, but you walk in darkness, then you don't really have fellowship with God. And as Christians, it is incumbent upon us for those, again, we don't expect people who don't profess Christ to act like Christians. We do not expect that. We shouldn't expect that. They can't. It's impossible without the Holy Spirit. But there's a difference, however, if someone professes to know Christ. Why? Because then if they profess to know Christ, then what? Then their life is communicating to other people something about Jesus. And no greater harm has been done to the church of Jesus Christ than people who profess Christianity but have actually no intent to live like a Christian. Throughout the 2,000 years of Christian history, I I would be hard-pressed to find a single thing that has caused greater problems for the church of Christ than people who profess the faith but had no intention to actually live like a Christian. Jesus himself spoke of those who professed to know God but really didn't. Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So again, I don't think Jesus is teaching that your works save you. But what he is saying is that if Jesus is really your Lord, then guess what? You're going to do his will. In other words, there is an there is a indestructible connection between true faith in Christ and obedience to Christ. And if you have, and if you profess one, but you don't have the other, then the first part's a lie. And he says, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So the profession is not enough. The verbal affirmation of our faith is not enough. John under the authority of the Holy Spirit, had the audacity to call such people liars to say that they have fellowship with God while they walk in darkness. They are liars, he says, and they do not practice the truth. That's what it says. They do not practice the truth. In the Bible, as we talked about before, the truth is just, it's not just something that you believe. It's not just, it's not just propositions that you affirm. The truth is something that you do, something that you practice something that you work out in your life. In other words, it's not really what you say you believe is true that you really believe. It's how you actually live your life that reveals to others what you really believe is true. I mean, just think about it. If I really believe that there is one almighty God before whom one day every human being who has ever lived will stand to give an account for their life. If I really believe that, If I really believe that I'm a sinner that is just enslaved to my sin, but God in his mercy gave his only son at the fullness of time for a wretch like me so that I could be forgiven of my sin and welcomed into the eternal family of God and reign with him as a king on his throne forever. If I really believe that, how am I going to, how can I live in sin? 
if I really believe that, how could I live like the world? How could I live like it? If I really believe that, how could I live in sin? In other words, it's what, it's what we do that really tells the world what we really believe. It's not our mouths. It's not enough to say that we know God. That which will validate whether we really know God or not is if we walk in the light as he is in the light. And that's how we know. That's how we know that we really know God is if we walk in the light as he is in the light. You know, I mean, you don't have to think that hard about it. It's quite simple. When you, an intimate relationship with somebody changes you. It's just reality. It changes you, right? Surely I'm not the only person who has noticed this. But there are, you know, people and couples, then they're together for a long time, and they're married for a long time, and they look, they look like each other. And you, you know what I'm talking about? They start acting like each other. They start looking like each other. And it's like, how is that possible? That, I mean, it's like the longer... They're together. It's like, it's like they physically, not just, I mean, their personalities start looking like each other, but not just their personalities, but they physically start looking like each other. I don't even know how that's possible. But it is. Why? Because intimate relationship with somebody changes you. you be, for better or for worse. <laughs> you become like them. You pick, up their, you pick up their quirks, right? You pick up their little things. You become like each other because of your close association with each other and the time you spend together. My dear friends, if you have an intimate relationship with God, you're going to start to look like him. You're going to start to pick up his little quirks, his holiness, his love, his gentleness, his kindness, his patience, his joy. His peace. If you walk with God, and the longer you walk with Him, the more you're going to look like Him. So, of course, John is right. God is light, and if we have fellowship with Him, then we too will walk in the light. So then, we must be a church. We must be people who walk in the light. In John three sixteen, the most famous verse, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. It's a great verse, but sometimes we forget what comes after it. It says, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe... It's condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. In that, in that passage in verse 19, he says, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and the people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. That, that is the judgment. That is, this is the, this is, 
This is the distinct. This is that which makes the makes the difference. This is that which distinguishes one from the other. This is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And remember, Jesus said, "I did." <laughs> Jesus said, "I did not come to bring peace to the world, but but division." Came to cast fire on the earth, and word that it were already kindled. Jesus Christ. He. This is the judgment. He says, "The light has come into the world." Who's the light? Jesus is the light. And the judgment Jesus is saying is this. If you love the light, you come to the light. If you don't love the light, you stay in the darkness. That's the difference. That's the difference. If you love your sin, you're going to stay in the darkness. Why? Because the light exposes the darkness. But if you're tired of your sin and its consequences and its enslavement of your life and it's dragging you down to hell and it's ruining everything in your life, if you're tired of your sin and you want to get rid of it and you want to be forgiven of it, then you own it and you bring your sin into the light. And it's painful when your sin is exposed. It's painful when you confess your sin to others. It's painful when you confess your sin to God because you have to finally confess to the world and to yourself that you are acknowledging that you are not as you should be. But the thing is, is when you bring it to the light, that's where God deals with it. It's when you bring it to the light that God can heal it and forgive it and make it right. It's when you bring it to the light and you come to God and you come to Christ who is the light, then it's forgiven and you, and you experience freedom and power and you no longer have to walk in darkness and guilt and shame and secrecy, but you walk in the light and there's freedom. So number one, God is light. Number two, to have fellowship with God, we must walk in the light. Number three, to have fellowship with God, we must be honest about our sin. We must be honest about our sin. So notice this pattern that John is writing. He says, he says, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. That's, kind of, that's a negative statement. And then he follows it with a positive one. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. So then he follows that same pattern here in verse 8, a negative. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But then a positive after that. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so what Christianity does is that it it forces us to be honest about our sin. And that's why real Christianity is repugnant to many people today. Because, very simply, it's very simple. We don't want to admit that something's wrong with us. It's in nature. From a teeny little child to the oldest grown person, we don't want to admit we're wrong. We don't want to admit that something's not right with us. We don't want to own our sin. We don't want to acknowledge it. And so, of course... The, the sin nature then does all sorts of things. Of course, the easiest thing to do is call, call good evil and evil good. 
And then you can actually embrace your sin and, then, and not just embrace it, but say, well, it's actually good. My sin is a good thing, which is what we're seeing in our world today. You see, but Christianity, what it does is it forces us to confront the reality of our own sin. Why? Why does it do that? Because God's the ultimate realist. All right? God's the ultimate realist. We could live in a fantasy world. You can refuse to believe the doctor's diagnosis, but left untreated, the cancer will kill you. You can refuse to acknowledge the reality of your sin, shrugging off the Bible as, and Christians as just hate-filled, judgmental people, judgmental bigot types. You can do that. But you must know that that too is to live in a fantasy world and left unacknowledged, unrefessed, and unconfessed, and unrepented, your sin will kill you. Christians don't talk about sin because we like to just point the finger at other people. Christians talk about sin because we believe that sin is real and that it will condemn us in the last day if it goes unforgiven. And we talk about sin because we believe in Jesus Christ. God has made a solution for our sin. But you will never receive the solution until you believe you have a problem. And so the most dangerous place you can be spiritually is to believe that you don't have a problem is to say that you have no sin. And if you say that, then your sin, you will face the consequences of it. But don't you see, that's exactly what John wants not to happen. That's why he writes the letter. That's why he writes the letter to tell you what to do. He says, if you say you have no sin, you deceive yourself. You deceive yourself, and the truth is not in us. But that's what he doesn't want to happen. So he tells you the solution. The solution is this. But if you confess your sin, that is what? Own it. Own your sin. You see, it's so we, we, we tend to just kind of shrug. We, we, we salve our consciences when there's sin in our lives because we don't want to deal with it. We don't want to feel guilty. But the see, and, and the world has come up with all these things, it diagnosed all these things, all these problems. It's not a sin problem, it's a, it's, a, it's, a chemical, it's a physical problem, it's a disease. Well, I'm not saying some things aren't diseases, but a lot of things just sin. And we do, we do everything we can to take the guilt. We don't want to feel guilty. But the feeling of guilt is not a bad thing if it drives you to the cross where your guilt can be taken away. Guilt is a, is a gift of God if that guilt makes you own your sin, but then take it to the one who has paid for sin once and for all, who has bore the guilt and the shame in your place so that you can acknowledge your sin, be honest about yourself, be honest to yourself about your own sin, own your own life as you really are, but then take it all to Christ who died for our sin to take away the guilt so that we can, be, so that we can confess our sin, have it taken away, and now walk in the freedom of forgiveness and the light. The answer to the sin problem in our life is not to suppress it, is not to just try to cover up our guilt with alcohol or with uh, painkillers or with relationship after relationship or with throwing ourselves into our work life or with whatever thing, whatever any other thing we kind of use to just suppress these 
these thoughts in our minds because we don't want to think about them. But if we are willing to just own it and just take it to Christ and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's where we find healing and freedom and forgiveness. We have to acknowledge our sin before we can find the solution to it. We have to be honest enough with ourselves to take it to the Lord. Jesus, in Matthew 9, he, this story happens. It says, Jesus reclined at table in the house. And behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. What's the point then? Well, John just told us here. If you say you have no sin, you're deceived. You're self-deceived. You've deceived yourself. And the truth is not in you. That's what he says. If you say you have no sin, you're you're self-deceived. In other words, to have fellowship with God, the key to having fellowship with God is, ha- is coming to him with a humility and a brokenness over our sin and an awareness of how desperately we need him. In other words, your fellowship with Jesus... <laughs> the key to having fellowship with Jesus is not being sinless. See, once you get... Once we get that, I think maybe we'll start viewing God a different way. The key to having fellowship with God is not being sinless. It's knowing how sinful you are. And knowing how much you need Him. You see, the key to Christianity is not not sinlessness because it's impossible. We cannot be sinless this side of heaven. The key to Christianity is not sinlessness, it's dependence. It's not, it's not doing better for God. It's needing God more. If you want to do more for God, then the way you do it is just cast yourself more on Him. It's not working harder. It's not trying harder. It's crying out to Him, being more needy for who He is. You see, God sees right through our pretense our pretenses and the airs we put on. He looks straight to our heart. And what he is looking for in our heart is not sinlessness, but desperation for him. You see, the Pharisees, they had a problem. Jesus said, I came not for the healthy, but for the sick. I came not for righteous, but for sinners. Were the Pharisees righteous? No, they weren't righteous. What was their problem? They thought they were. You see, the, the human condition, the, 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 the difference between people is not that one's more sinful than the other, than the other or, 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 one, or one's more righteous than the other. We're all on the same plane. We're all sinners. The difference is whether you know it or not. The difference is how much you recognize you need Jesus. And that is the difference between a, a faith-filled person 
and not a person who receives forgiveness and a person who doesn't. Remember the story? Jesus was sitting at the table and this, uh, this, this pro- prostitute comes and begins weeping at his feet and, and, and washing his, his feet with her, her tears. And, and you know, uh, the, the, the table that he's sitting at, the Pharisees are, are sitting there and the, the, he's thinking, man, if Jesus, if Jesus was really a prophet, he knew who that lady was. He knew who she was if he was a real prophet. And he wouldn't let her, he wouldn't let her t- touch him. But Jesus tells him a little story about um, a person who is forgiven of a great debt and a person who is forgiven of a little debt. And he said, which one do you think loved the person more? And, and the guy said, well, I guess the person who is forgiven of the greater debt. And he said, you're correct. He who's been forgiven much loves much. You see, the difference is not that some of us need to be forgiven more than others. The difference is that some of us realize we need to be forgiven more than others. The key to fellowship with God is being honest with our sin and being desperate for Him. The more desperate we are is when we see the power of God most at work in our life because that's when we draw the nearest to Him. You see, when you think you got this Christian life down, when you think you got all your boxes ticked, then guess what you do? You lose your desperation. You start doing it in your own strength. You start doing it in your own power. You start living your life because you think you're pretty good. And that's at the very point where you're, at the, you're, you're on the verge of falling, of failure. It's actually, it's, in Christianity, des- desperation is a virtue. Dependence is the virtue, not self-reliance. Dependence on God. And worst of all, John says that if we say we have no sin, not only are we lying to ourselves, but he says in verse 10 there, it says, we make him a liar. Look, God already knows. Don't try to lie to him about it. He already knows. He sees your thoughts. He sees my thoughts. He sees our secrets. He knows what you're doing. When no one else is watching. He knows what thoughts are going through your head when no one else can hear them. And thank God we don't always say them. Sometimes we do and we need to repent of that. But he knows what we're thinking, even when we shouldn't think it. He knows. And if we really see it, if we really think about it, we'll realize how much we need him. And that's our power, is needing him. And so what do we do? How can we have fellowship with God? I don't know. Maybe you, maybe you have, this happens to all of us sometimes. Maybe you feel distant from the Lord right now. Maybe you can't explain it why. Maybe you can't explain why. Maybe you just feel a little distant from the Lord right now. What can we do? Well, take some time to self-reflect and ask, is there any type of sin in my life? Is there any type of unbelief in my life? Is there any type of worry or fear or anxiety that I have no control over and I haven't given it to God and I've been letting it eat me up? Is there any type of bitterness or anger or unforgiveness that I've left undealt with? And that's why he feels so distant. 
You see, you want to have fellowship with God? We have to walk in the light. But see, this is the key. It's the beauty of this verse. It's the great, one of the greatest verses in all the Bible. And here it is. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you felt distant from God, the solution is simple. Go to him. Confess your sin. Truly repent of it. Turn away from it. Give it to God so that you do not bearing it anymore. Confess it. And when you confess it out of the purity of your heart, you have this irreversible promise. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin when we confess it. Repent. Walk in the light. Be honest about your sin. Don't lie about it. Don't cover it up. Don't try to, don't try to say, oh, well, it's not really that bad. Don't try to just... Put some salve on it. Expose it. Expose it. Bring it into the light. Bring it into the light. Now, of course, it hurts. But that's the only place where you can find healing. Bring it into the light. And God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we will experience the fellowship with God that we desire. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this evening.